You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Thank you for choosing us today. We are very grateful you're here. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, we don't take uh, you choosing Almost 30 for granted. I'm Lindsay Simsick. And I'm Krista. And this is a really special episode. Uh, We have compiled a powerful, powerful uh, episode of some of the black women that have been on almost 30 who have shared their stories, their experiences, their knowledge, their power. And yeah, I was just, I was moved putting this episode together. Yeah. It's just seems so right. And I'm really excited because these are teachers, leaders, authors, you know, mothers, wives, daughters, and the way that they share is so profound. So to put everything in one place just feels so right during this time. And we are in deep reverence of the women we have on the show and all the ones in our community. Truly. So um, this episode includes Angela Davis, Lala Delia, Lorraine Gaston, Rachel Cargill, Bulla Sokumbi, Lauren Ash, Lizzie Jeff, Avita Robinson, Chimu Green, and Lovey Ajayi. Yeah, these episodes we've done, you know, over the course of the past year or so within the podcast, you can find them each separately. So if you're interested in digging into the further episodes, you can search the name and almost 30. We'll also have each of the episodes in our show notes linked for you to dig into. Um, And if you're interested in this topic as well, just amplifying uh, the voices of black women and the topics related to anti-racism. You can listen to the episode we did with Rachel Cargill that we re-released on Tuesday of last week. And you can also dig into the episode on white fragility we have coming on Thursday. Yes. And we have resources on our website. I know uh, many of you in our community have been um, asking for resources. So we are compiling and providing them on our website. We've linked them on our Instagram as you unlearn relearn and just support anti-racism. Yeah. And we are forever students of the work. We are forever students of the work. We got into this in, you know, 2018, have been doing this in 2018, have been working with diversity and inclusion coaches, have been super mindful as we created almost 30 to be in this space. But again, we are forever students. So we are eternally grateful for you for being here. We are sending you lots of love and and peace today. And um, just a note about the secret Facebook group. I've just been incredibly excited about the way you guys have been interacting with one another and the kindness you've been showing. And for the black women and the women of color that have been speaking to the women of our group, I am indebted to you. It has been so profound. You know, I know that there's a lot going on within Facebook communities with 
you know, other influencers and other brands and other businesses. But time and time again, I'm reminded of how powerful Almost 30 is and the community of Almost 30 by seeing the ways in which you are respectfully and honestly and truthfully and heart-centeredly, heart-centeredly mm-hmm. um, <laughs> engaging and interacting with one another. And if you're not yet a part of the group, I highly recommend it. It's incredibly open and transformational. And you can find it by searching Almost 30 Podcast Secret Group on Facebook. Yeah. Again, thank you for for listening. We are here for you. Our community is one that welcomes everyone. So please, you can contact us through our Instagram, almost30podcast. You can email us community at almost30podcast.com. We are here to serve you. Yeah, very much so. We love you very much. Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram. Almost 30 Podcast is the website and you can find the shop there if you're interested in anything there. And yeah. This episode opens with Angela Davis. You know, we're all born with gifts and talents. Every single one of us is born with gifts and talents. Every single one of us is born in purpose, on purpose, for a purpose. We're not created to find purpose. You're not going to like, oh, let me find my purpose. Let me find why I'm here. You were already created in purpose, with purpose, on a pur- like for a purpose, like already created with that. So really life is about exploring that and leaning into that and operating in those gifts and talents. And so I think, you know, for me, it was just really like understanding that and that that changes. You know, I used to be, I used to run track professionally. I don't do that anymore, you know? And so what is the extension of the gift? You know, coaching, you know, coaching became an extension of the gift. Speaking became an extension of the gift, you know, making music now became an extension of the gift. Like it just, what is the extension? What is the remix? What is the remix? And never attaching to just the one thing, but what's the remix, you know, and like find that flow. And I think that can keep us free, you know? And something that doesn't keep us free is limiting beliefs. And I know that we have, you know, we all have different ones that we're working with, whether we're aware of them or not. How do you coach people to recognize and then work through their limiting beliefs that they may have? It's limiting beliefs are so paralyzing. And what's crazy is we could take on someone else's belief system for us. Like someone could look at me and say, you're a woman, you're a mom, you're could list all kinds of things and I only hold you to this. And then we somehow come in agreement and partner with that. Isn't that crazy? Like how quickly we relinquish our right to be all that we were called, created, and intended to be because someone else had an opinion about us. And then we just relinquish the right. Like, okay, well, maybe. And so in coaching someone to break through that, it's really reminding them of the dream. Like, what is that dream that you've had since you were a little girl? Or what is that dream you've had since you were a little boy? What is that, what is that thing that keeps you up at night that has you tossing and turning? What is that, what, something that you've been able to see that you've been given a vision for that no one else can see? That's attached to your purpose. And not everyone is going to be able to see that for you. And that's okay. But get around people who will breathe life into that. Get around people who believe in you and will speak to the gifts and talents. 
And those were the people that will help you break through those ceilings that you may not have even put there for yourself and help you break through those limitations and help you break through to the next level. But it's really surrounding yourself with people that can speak to the gift. And it's about not partnering and coming into agreement with someone else's limitations for you and remembering, remembering what you've seen for yourself. Remember that. We, we, we so easily forget. We forget. We forget. And like we were talking a little bit back there, like it's easier for you, you know, the opposite of this to when someone else can see it for you. But it's okay to see it for yourself. Like it's okay to have a dream. It's okay to have a vision. You know, a visionary is someone that can see the future with great imagination. It's okay. It's okay. You know, and not to be, you know, embarrassed by that. Maybe it's not for you to share with everyone, you know, because not everyone can handle it. Not everyone, you know what I mean? And not everyone's going to support it. It's not for everyone. But whatever that is, like, hold that. And don't forget that. Like, remember that. Like, remember that dream. You know, if God let you see it, he already put it in you to be it. You know, and I believe that with everything that I am. Like, if you can see it, you can be it. And here is Lala Delia, author and founder of Vibrate Higher Daily. You know, for someone that is dealing with trauma or, you know, with social justice, like what should we think about as far as like the recognition of truth and what we're feeling and trauma that we're going through, but then also wanting to be at a place where we are vibrating higher to receive those higher things? Like, how do you think about those two things interworking and how have you seen those play out in your life? Knowing that we do have space to do both, like we were talking at the beginning, we do have space to do both. We have a, we have space to be aware, and then we have space to direct where we're going to send our energy to. So it's not always that we're going to get involved in every organization that's out there. It's not that we're going to be at every protest. It's not that we're going to donate to every cause. It's not that we're going to post about everything that happens, but quietly. Because at the end of the day, if social media still went away, how would you promote and how would you support these, these, all these things going on in the world? So it's not always about what everyone else sees. We, so we have to be really careful of that as well when we don't see people posting and maybe saying like, why aren't you posting about this? Because we never know what they're doing behind closed doors. You know? And I know so many people that give to causes who don't even have a social media page. So it's really important or people who are, you know, are giving and they are always posting about it. So it's just, we have to be careful with judgment there um, with others and then with ourselves, you know, and just knowing that I'm giving from a place of authenticity. It's not because I want to look like I'm, you know, involved or aware, but it's because I truly am. And this is where I feel called and led in the movement to be. You know, Martin Luther King wasn't, even though at the time, like he was very concerned with the Vietnam War, but he was not spending his time there. He was on, you know, in Birmingham and just, you know, in the South with the civil rights movement. So see, so we have to really know where we can put all of our experience, you know, your community, where do you have support, your resources. There were a lot of people who were giving to his movement that weren't even in the civil rights movements, but they could donate. So it was just, it's a lot of 
crossing and meditating on, contemplating on where I want to spend my energy and time. And him and Thich Nhat Hanh, who I uh, mentioned early, they had a very good brotherhood that they formed. And Thich Nhat Hanh was very instrumental in Martin Luther King um, becoming nonviolent and the calm Martin Luther King, because there's some, you know, some letters and there's some, his letter from the Birmingham jail, like there's some letters, I think it's a letter of 1964. That's a very militant Martin Luther King, you know, they, and, and so a lot of people post like the happy and the, <laughs> the peaceful Martin Luther King, that's the one we see, but he, but there's some where he's more so like Malcolm X, who he was, yeah, a, yeah, I was thinking that. oh yeah, he, and him and Malcolm were very good yeah. brothers and friends. And so, you know, so there, it's just, again, in Malcolm X, Malcolm X wasn't, known for the civil rights movement, but he was still for black liberation. And so he was working where he could, you know? So when you go throughout time, it's just a matter of where I can put my energy and really put it there. Because if we're scattered all all over the place too much, we're not going to really have enough to show up there. So really get, you know, get involved where you feel led and where you feel you can put the most of your time and attention. And it's okay if you feel, you know, that this is too much for me. Because we do have to know our limit and our capacity. And that's why we have to be gentle with ourselves, especially in the world we live in, because there's so much. You can just walk out of your door and pick up the phone and see a headline. And mm-hmm. it just takes you a whole day to get over vibrationally what you just saw yeah. or someone sharing something. So just be mindful. As mindful as we are driving traffic, we have to be mindful when we're you know, just moving through headlines and posts and updates of you know what I'm going to invest in. And... I had had a podcast before where I just talked about people. I do believe that people are doing the best they can where they are with the information they have. And some people just don't know. Some people just don't know about all the headlines. And so if you see someone that doesn't look like they're concerned, they don't understand the importance of that. And But there are other people who will. And I think that when we can lead out of love and hold space and just you know, hold space for each other and have meaningful conversations. We're able to win people over like that more than pointing and judging. And and truly, if you're a person who is involved, you're too busy. You're too busy to point judgment because you're you're it's putting your energy truth. in. Yeah, you're putting your energy in where you're, you're doing the work. And now we have Larea Gaston, executive director and founder of Lunch on Me, a Los Angeles-based nonprofit dedicated to ending starvation while providing opportunities to enrich the mind, body, and spirit of LA's homeless community. The broken systems piece too, and, and the police thing just reminds me of the the part race plays in all of this. And like how that relates to the systems, the foster care system, the incarceration systems within schools, and then police, from your perspective, like what has been challenging speaking about the civil rights movement? Like what has been challenging about seeing race relations play out in this space? Well, I mean, people of color have had to deal with this since the beginning. So we know, I think it's more of being mindful to not just be so used to abuse that you just accept it or you have excuses for the abusers. Because that's what happens a lot. That's even psychologically an abuse. That's what happens. So I think to me, it's people of color knowing how we've been done so wrong and abused. And to remember, I know you're tired, but we still have to fight. And it's not a choice. And I think it's fighting for what's right. It's fighting for equality. It's fighting for kids to be able to have quality of life, not be thrown away. And so I think that it's not about not knowing because we know. We all deal with it. I have four brothers. I deal with it and it's painful. 
And I think it's more of like knowing you're human, but being treated less than and being able to have to to fight that, but then also being told you're not allowed to be upset. You're not allowed to be radical. You're not allowed to show your strength that they're trying to beat out of you. And that's the truth. I see that every time I see a black man arrested that's done nothing, that's just walking by. Um, So I think it's just more of the reminder, like we can get through it. And not every person is bad, but the people that aren't, if you aren't doing anything, you're the problem too. Mm. And now Rachel Cargill, who is a public academic writer and lecturer whose activism and academic work is rooted in providing intellectual discourse, tools, and resources that explore the intersection of race and womanhood. And I often get asked by women of color, you know, like, Rachel, um, I want to be, or should I be doing what you're doing? You know, how do I communicate with all of these white people who are really hurting me or being violent towards me in a variety of ways? And I always tell people, you know, Black people existing is the work. Us just being in this country, being happy, moving forward, keeping hope, continuing to believe and work towards our successes and our excellence and demanding our dignity and just existing in this world as a Black person is a revolution in itself for Mm -hmm. a country that never, ever wanted us in the first place Mm -hmm. besides to be free labor. Um, And so I always tell people of color, you know, you don't, unless you feel like this is your work, don't feel like you have to deep dive into this work. This is my work for sure. Like, literally, I did not put a call out to 115,000 white women to follow me. Like, there was no sign I made. Mm -hmm. There was no, like, I didn't wake up, you know, like, you know what, I'm going to start talking to white women about race. Like, Mm -hmm. never was that any intention. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I now have this platform and this audience, I'm just assuming my ancestors sent them my way and said, Rachel, it's your turn. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I take this as my work and I take pride in it and I have fun with it. And I, you know, it's my living now and this is what I do. But it's definitely not the work of other people. So speaking into the fact that this is my work, I don't think it's as exhausting as it might be for someone who didn't feel like this is what they were meant to be doing. But um, I take a lot of pride in you know in the writing that I do and in the speaking that I do. And so um, I take it. I, I'm assuming I feel the same way anyone does when they're working a job. But there is a lot of decompressing I have to do after every lecture and after every workshop and um, every podcast that I'm doing mm-hmm. and every speaking opportunity because it's, you know, it's not like going into, into an office and clocking out. It's like going in and speaking on my own truth and my own trauma and my own um, frustrations and my own joys. And there's just mm-hmm. so much of myself in this because I am a Black woman, but also the exhaustion of, I think really the exhaustion doesn't come in the work. The exhaustion comes in doing this work so hard every day and then, you know, seeing a little Black boy in Brooklyn being accused of sexual assault Mm. by a white woman at the bodega. Like the exhaustion comes in doing this work and still seeing the same shit over and over. And now, Bola Sokonbi. She is CEO and best-selling author, founder of Clever Girl Finance. As a woman of color in this space, I think there are not enough voices. There are not enough women that look like me. There's not enough women, period, talking about personal finance. And it may seem like there are a lot of us, but when you think about the numbers, right, think about the personal finance industry or the financial planning industry. I think I read a stat somewhere that about 70 or 80% of financial planners are men in one article. And then I read another article that says 97% of financial advisors are men, right? So when you think about that, right, amongst women, we see a lot of us talking about money, but there's still not enough of us. And as a woman of color, I remember, you know, 
coming out of college trying to save money. There was nobody that looked like me. Um, there were very few women. That personal finance book I picked up was it was a book for women written by men. <laughs> right. Okay. And wow. it was just like, wow. You know, and I feel like it's not because we we don't want to talk about finance. It's because when you just think about like backgrounds, right? A lot of us did not grow up talking about money at the dinner table. When you think about the traditional setting of the home, think about your grandmothers or your mothers, depending on their age, what typically happened? The the fathers would pull their sons aside and talk about business and money. And the mothers would pull their daughters aside and talk about homemaking and recipes, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But we've now come into this generation where you know we're here and we're in the space where women are making more money than their mothers and their grandmothers, right? But despite that, there's the gender wage gap, right? We're earning 20% less on average. When you look at it by demographic, it's it's much more discouraging. Um, many women are choosing not to get married. Many women are sole household earners, breadwinners, single moms. Um, we're in this position that we haven't been generationally taught to talk about money, but we have to face it because we have to take ownership for our, of our money in order to succeed, especially given the fact that we're living longer than men. So over the course of our lifetimes, we need more money, right? Plus we take time off of work to raise our babies, <laughs> either temporarily or permanently. So there's, there's a lot of factors working against us and we really have to start talking about money. So for me, you know, I, I want to see more women, more women of color talking about money. I sat down with another woman and she told me that she felt that, you know, women and women of color, the focus on that in the personal finance space is a gimmick because she personally feels that everybody, men and women have equal opportunity when it comes to money. And I was like, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah. what world do you live in? There is yeah. nothing equal. Starting with the gender pay, wage gap, right? Standing, starting with socioeconomic backgrounds that people come come from, there is nothing equal about the opportunities that women have, women of color have when it comes to finance. So, you know, that was just more fuel for me to continue doing what I'm doing. But I would definitely love to see more women in the space, more women of color in the space, um, because we are we're doing big things. Like, you know, studies show that when we have the opportunity and we have the education, we're better with money. We are better investors. We make more level-headed decisions. We're opening businesses at record paces. We are graduating college at record paces. Like if we if we rule the world, there'll be no wars. <laughs> mm-hmm. We will solve world hunger, right? We are powerful, and I think the more of us that are out there to push the the message and change that narrative, um, the bigger the impact of change will be. And here is Lauren Ash, a wellness visionary who is the founder and executive director of the culture-shifting lifestyle brand synonymous with Black women's wellness, Black Girl Gnome. For, again, marginalized people, specifically, I'm a Black woman, I can only speak to my experience. We are so conditioned and so socialized to go, 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 to work harder because, you know, in some cases we have to in order to get experiences that others might get for, you know, we just have to work, we have to work harder. And also... Just when you think about like the history too of Black women in terms of our relationship with labor and providing for others and being of service to others, and that being passed along intergenerationally, we had a quick little chat about intergenerational everything right before this. And it's like, those things literally get passed down, right? And so I have to literally, as a Black woman, especially as a Black woman who is 
leading a movement that is all about self-care, I have to model the kinds of like the kinds of ways of being and the kinds of consciousness that I think more of us have to in order to be freer and in order to like love ourselves and love others more. So for me, rest looks like so I I, I love this. I really this year I committed to taking like quarterly week long um, spiritual retreats. And that can look different. It could look like an official retreat or me just like turning everything off for a week, right? And even the the fact that that sounds so radical. Like people are like, oh, every quarter, like a week off. And you know, and for me, it took me a while to get there. I recently revisited a journal of mine from 2015 where I wrote down that I wanted to do that. Here we are in 2019 and I finally am in both a, a position to do that. And also I feel like I deserve it. You know what I mean? And that is a huge thing too for any of us who are like struggling with the idea of taking time for ourselves. Whatever that looks like, a nap or a vacation that's truly a vacation. Because <laughs> a lot of times we go on vacations, we're still plugged in. Something wrong with that. But if you feel like you're always plugged in, you do need to take a break from the screen, right? You do take, need to take a, a break from the content, whatever. But for me to also just know that I can do it and also I'm deserving of it, that's really powerful. You know, Not because I have worked hard, but just because I as a being need to give that to myself. And that giving that to myself and pouring into myself in that way allows me to give to other people. I really love Lisa Nichols, really powerful motivational speaker, a Black woman as well. And she always talks about giving from the overflow. So not giving from this place of, of deficit, of course, but not even giving from a place of like, I just have enough. Let me give that to you. No, like literally I'm pouring into myself and I am then joyful to give to other people because I have so much to give. And that to me can only come from giving myself really rejuvenating, restorative experiences as much as possible every day. I have a really like beautiful long morning ritual and I have to remind myself on those days where I want to cut it short or I feel like I can't, but that is exactly why I need to. <laughs> Again, giving from the overflow. And now Lizzie Jeff, creator and founder of Zen and Kush. I'm from LA, you know, South Central in the mid 80s when the war on drugs was at an all time like, yo, high. There were men by and women by the dozens being handcuffed on the blocks, being hauled off. Families were like literally destroyed, communities destroyed, foster care system on a on mm. boom. You know, there's a lack of fathers in the household, a lack of mothers. So now the grandmothers are stepping in. Somebody, you know, has an uncle. Somebody got a dad. You know, it's like this has now become the reality of um, many black communities in L.A. and across the nation. And for me, being a product of that, and knowing firsthand what it's like experiencing people, loved ones in the prison system being harassed daily for no reason by the police who are like constantly monitoring the neighborhoods. Just being from that and also being a huge fan of hip hop and listening to hip hop growing up and being able to identify with a lot of those stories on some levels, but also having my own story, my own version of what it's like coming from that perspective, wanting to infuse it in the music, but also 
now being a voice. Some call me a pioneer. Some, you know, say the queen of the cannabis renaissance, which that's an honor that I don't take lightly. You know, it's something that inspires me. Um, But even before any newspaper said that, I already knew who I was. And knowing that and being connected to that and showing up as my full self to now having a voice in this industry and seeing the impact of the war on drugs and now being surrounded by industry of a lot of white people, especially white men that are making enormous amounts of money while there's still many people locked up. Just being mindful of that. I'm not here to destroy anything that exists. All I want to do is create a space where we can be aware and mindful of how we're using our voice, our impact, our influence to really like impact change and alternative ways to support each other. And for me, you know, I told you my grandmother raised me, my great grandmother and my grandmother in New Orleans. And my great grandmother was born in 1907 in Cottonport. And so was my grandmother, 1926. And, you know, they grew up, they spent most of their lives in the South and they had a totally different experience than what I have. And they taught me so much and instilled so much and told me so many of their stories, things that you can't believe, but you can't believe it. And so with that and knowing what they sacrificed and knowing you know, the lack of, you know, possibilities. But there there were a lot of people of color that were that have been thriving since, you know, since slavery ended. Even while slavery was happening, there were black people that were thriving. So I'm not saying um she wasn't thriving, but it was just a different time. It was a different time. And now I can walk in the street with a strappy lace bra on, you know what I'm saying? And I can wear my Afro and not be harassed about it. And, you know, I'm working with so many different types of women and men from different backgrounds with different stories. So I say that to say I'm aware of the path that has been paved for me and that really ignites the fuel um, that I use in all of my expressions and even the people around me in the industry You know, we have these conversations about how to be mindful of the reality that exists and how to move forward consciously by creating an alternative um, paradigm. Yes. And the last thing I'll say is I only want to create iconic shit. You know what I'm saying? Like when it comes to photography, video visuals, even my live set. It is always my intention to reflect the magic of my ancestors in the highest vibration possible. Now, I have multi-background, women from multi-background, multiple backgrounds that are part of everything that I do, but I'm always mindful of really highlighting um, women of color in their full glory and power because for so long, we've been told that we weren't beautiful, that we're to this, we're to that, our skin is this, our hair is that. Our bodies have been over-sexualized on so many levels. So I just want to create powerful images of women, especially women of color, in their full power and in in, in ways you don't see. Because when you Google witchcraft, when you Google goddess circle, you know, sister circle, 
there's an, there's not a lot of black women that pop up in these images. 100%. Mm-hmm. So they don't exist. So for me, it's about, hey, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, but we're all fucking beautiful mm-hmm. and we can be even more beautiful together. Why not? You know what I'm saying? It's like eliminating this idea of competition, but also creating this vibration of, I see you. And here is Avita Robinson. She is a pioneer of the urban travel movement and founder of Nomadness Travel Tribe and Nomadness TV. I'm the creator and CEO of Nomadness Travel Tribe, which is a 21,000 member, like just under 21,000 members around the world, um, international travel group that focuses primarily on travelers of color. Um, We have all ethnicities represented in the tribe, but we really attract who we attract. And I think the fact that it started um, at a time where there was no community and still there's lack of representation for um, Black travelers in the whole industry. We kind of came on board and created our own home, created our own businesses, uh, created our own family. And so that's what I've been kind of the vessel navigating for the last going on seven years. It'd be seven years in September. That's incredible. So I would love to... And to that point, I would love to kind of like paint the picture for our listeners. So like... When we say that um, Black African-Americans, Black people are underrepresented in the travel industry, can we talk a little bit about that and like kind of explain like what exactly that means and maybe some statistics so that we can really paint the picture that, so that people are understanding what you mean and understand why this is so important? Yeah. So I'm a primary like keynote speaker now, right? Like this blew up after last year. Um, it was a mix of being the last day breakfast keynote at Destinations International, which is kind of like this association that represents 1,500 boards of tourism, particularly in the US. And literally having them all in one theater to just like eat out of my hands and like take the information that I was giving was a game changer. And then like literally a couple months later, my TED talk dropped and that just only like kind of helped the momentum. So that one keynote was so integral, but I bring it up because the slide that everybody walked out to, that every that I walked out to, that everybody saw, what said $50 billion. That's all it said. And when I got on stage, I said, you know, on the, the annual average expenditure of African-American travelers, you know, it's $50 billion on travel a year. I'm like, and that's not even like talking about like all the international travel that has bumped up over the last couple of years. And that statistic was in like 2016. So we're talking about this movement that has now cultivated international community, brands all over the place um, coming on board. And you would not realize that we spend that much money in the travel industry because you don't see us in any of the marketing. You know, so it's like I ask these rooms that are primarily filled with white people, you know, that run these boards of tourism, you know, do you want a piece of this pie? And of course, people say yes. And I'm just like, well, that's really interesting because your marketing doesn't indicate that you do. And that's how I start my presentation. And I kind of break it down from there, you know, with our our expenditures and our habits. But that number alone just speaks so much. I remember even when I saw it, I'm in the middle of this and I was like, damn, (laughs) you know, like our purchasing power and, you know, and, and millennials in general, like this generation is very much wrapped around less materialism and more experience-based, you know, spending. And and travel is like the the mecca of that for a lot of us. And I think it's only going to trend upwards because what's happening is as millennials have children and start raising children, our children are really going to be the first generation of black travelers who are like, "Ooh, like I've been doing this since I was a kid." 
You know what I'm saying? Like I was weak because we're the ones that have like really built the community, the traction, the breaking the stereotypes that this stuff isn't attainable or you have to be rich in order to go travel and see the world. Like we're just like knocking all of these things out the park and creating spaces in which we're able to do this all the time. So that's a, that's a big part of it. Um, another example is Kelly Edwards, good friend of mine, been in No Madness for years. Kelly just got her show for Travel Channel Greenlit, Mysterious Island. She actually just got done shooting, I think like within the last like 48 hours for the first season. Oh, that's so exciting. And that show's coming out, but Travel Channel's been around for 30 years. And in 30 years of programming, this is the first Black travel host that they've ever had that's going to be spearhead of all of their stuff, the first. And it's like the first female Black travel host. And it's like, it took 30 years to get to this point. And the girl's like, Kelly's like super exceptional. Like she's a pilot. So not only is she going to these islands, like she's flying the plane to these islands. You know what I'm saying? It's not just like your average stuff. It's like so above and beyond. And she's an adventure traveler doing like crazy shit, you know? And so... It's, it's those types of representation. Even when I started No Madness seven years ago, you know, I was a you know, black girl in my 20s, like gallivanting, backpacking around the world. But I didn't see a community for me, but I knew that there had to be more people that looked like me that had to travel as a priority. And now Jamu Green, an evangelist for social good, an award-winning media and advocacy strategist, former president of Rock the Vote. What are some of the setbacks that women of color experience in politics and in media? And what have you experienced personally? Well, certainly there's that double whammy of sexism and racism. And, you know, I am, I'm not quick to use racism um, as an attack. I, I think that there is bias, certainly unconscious bias, um, brain science, you know, just for us to be able to function as human beings. Our brains have to categorize things and that leads to stereotyping. And at the end of the day, we, we're animals. And so we have these instincts and we have these requirements to survive. And so just understanding that we all have bias, I think is important, but certainly as a woman of color, I, I have faced sexism, I have faced um, bias, and, and at times I've faced direct Racism, I, I try to draw on strength to not just call out an issue, but to help the person who might be putting forward um, a wrong idea or creating an unfair situation to help them see where they could be better. I hope that we can get to a place as a country where like, it's not just us versus them, but that we're all moving forward. Uh, in pursuit of being better, of addressing our biases. When you know you have a bias, then that's when you can actually start to address it and to correct it. And finally, Lovey Ajayi. She is an award-winning writer best known for her book, I'm Judging You, The Do Better Manual. One section of my Mm -hmm. book that is so relevant to today's world that I'm actually surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm mad that it's actually that relevant still. I wanted my book to be timely Mm. and timeless. But my God, my culture chapter, I mean, my culture section starts with a chapter on racism. It's called Racism is for Assholes. Mm. And then the second chapter is the Privilege Principle. And then I have a chapter on feminism. uh, Nobody wins at the Feminism Olympics. 
I have a chapter on um, religion. And in this world that we find ourselves where people are being shot in the streets, shot in their own apartments, um, where Muslims are being attacked at numbers not seen in decades, where um, trans people are being killed in ridiculous numbers, that culture section where I talk about how I'm judging all of us for how good we are at othering people for the mm. things that they were born with and the, the, the religion they practice, the people mm. they love, it rings very true. And when, I, um, when my hardcover was coming out in, this, in November 2017, I, I wrote a bonus chapter basically saying that we've got, we did not do better. My, my book's tagline is the Do Better Manual because one, I'm judging myself and I think we're, I constantly need to do better. Yeah, but I'm judging us as a society and saying that we all have to do better. We have not done better because we now live in a world, in a country that is run by I call him a walking Cheeto, a man whose platform is really to demean anybody who's not white, male, and straight. Mm-hmm. We have not done better. Thank you so much to the women that joined us for these episodes. We are so grateful for you. And yeah, thank you for being such profound voices in the world. Thank you, Angela Davis, Lala Delia, Lorea Gaston, Rachel Cargill, Bola Sokombi, Lauren Ash, Lizzie Jeff, Evita Robinson, Jamu Green, and Levy Ajayi. Yeah, and you can go to the website and find within our show notes more amazing women of color, more amazing black women and men that we've interviewed for the show. This is just a compilation of some really profound statements as it relates to the conversations that the collective is having today regarding race. Yeah, and just to close out, we wanted to share um, a quote and a call from Rachel Cargill that has always stuck with us since we spoke with her on the podcast that to show up, What it really means to show up as an ally is to educate yourself, have knowledge, have radical empathy, radical action. And really, you know, when I think about that, I think the action part has always been, um, for me, a... I've always paused because like the connection to the action is I think what is so, so important. And so speaking to everyone out there, you know, taking that aligned action is the missing piece um, for so many of us. And I just encourage you to do that research, learn, unlearn, reach out, reach out to people, have conversations. I think so much of my work right now is having conversations with people in my family, having conversations with my boyfriend, having conversations that are teaching me so, so much. And you can start there. Mm, yes, completely agree. And don't don't get overwhelmed by the influx of information and resources. Just pick your plan and your strategy for the ways that you will help this problem. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. And we will see you on Thursday for our episode re-release with Thais Sky. Yes. And thank you for sharing with your friends who need the message, who are interested in furthering their education in the movement. We are so appreciative of you, your sharing of this and the Rachel Cargill episode and the episode with Thais Sky on white privilege is amazing. Love you. We'll see you soon. 